I got a map. (laughs) Today we're going to be in Acts chapter 8. Now, one of the things that every one of us wonders about is, so how, how is God at work in the world? How is God at work in my life? How do I know? How do I know how God is leading? And, and, and one of the great things about God's word is that um, we, are, we are recipients of this incredible story of God's work in people over time. And as we zero in, we're in a series in, in the book of Acts right now. Uh, as we zero in on the book of Acts, we get to see how the Holy Spirit worked in the early church. Um, this is the period of history where, so Jesus has already, he, he's, he, he's had his earthly ministry. He's, he's taught. He's been crucified. On a Friday, on a Sunday morning, he was raised again from the dead. Over the next 40 days, he he spent all sorts of time with his disciples. I mean, ultimately, hundreds of people who saw him living. They ate with him. They hung out with him. They they knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was alive. And then, um, after his 40 days, he ascends up into heaven. And then 10 days later, on the day of Pentecost, literally seven weeks to a day after his resurrection... On, on the Jewish feast of Pentecost, when they remember the giving of the law, well, something that is even greater than the law is given to the church, the Holy Spirit, the fulfillment of the law, the difference between a heart of stone and a heart of flesh. And as the Holy Spirit moves through the early church, some pretty remarkable things happen. <laughs> Those, if, and I, I hope you've been reading along. Part of the challenge of this series is that uh, every week we're challenging one another to read about four chapters of the book of Acts. So we're kind of in the second week of that challenge, which is why we're going to be in Acts chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, find Acts chapter 8. Um, that, uh, that, so that as, as the Holy Spirit moves in the church, we, we see these, the, the, the apostles, the twelve who, you know, during Jesus' earthly ministry, uh, they, you know, they were, they were doubting, they were saying all the wrong things, they were doing all the, all the wrong things. They were kind of a mess. And as the Holy Spirit fills them, and as the conviction of the resurrection focuses their life, we see these fishermen, tax collectors, just kind of nobody people turn into these remarkable, incredible leaders. Um, we looked briefly last week at, at how as, the, as the, the resurrection was proclaimed and people came to Christ, how the church came together to care for one another and an incredible acts of service, right to the degree that there was nobody in need within them. They were, they were just giving so freely of their time and of their resources. And as we get ready to pick things up in chapter 8, there's one other piece of the story that we need to especially remember. See, in Acts chapter 6, the church encounters its first real um, kind of cultural challenge because they discover that there is a group within them that are being neglected. Now, though all of them in the early church, in the earliest stages of the early church, all of them would be ethnically Jewish. Some of them would be culturally um, more Greco-Roman than they would Jewish. And and so in the the Bible, it talks about uh, the uh, the Hellenized. Hellenized, that's what that means. It means that the Greek is their native language. 
So the Aramaic that their, that their other Jewish brothers and sisters speak, they might know a little bit of it, but it's, it's not their native tongue. So they don't understand everything. And so a problem arrives in the church because when they would get together for meals and especially making certain that the widows, people that wouldn't have some of the family connections to, to take care of all of their own needs, some of those widows were getting overlooked, the widows that didn't speak Aramaic. The widows that spoke Greek first and Aramaic maybe. They were getting neglected. They were missing out. It's a little bit like a little bit later in the service, Pastor Paul is going to invite everybody to the Thursday night potluck. And by the way, those are incredible. And everyone is invited. Well, if Pastor Paul came up and and he only gave announcements in French, well, everybody would still be invited, but most of you would be like, And even if you use Google Translate, you probably wouldn't understand everything. And you really wouldn't feel like you were included in the potluck invitation. Well, that's what was going on. So there were some women um, that would, I mean, especially needed to be invited into the food life of the church. They they, They got overlooked because they didn't speak Aramaic. And so the early church did an incredibly wise thing. They appointed leaders who were native Greek-speaking. They appointed some of Hellenized Jews to lead the charge with that. And that's where we are introduced to this this kind of one of the main characters in the story today. His name is Philip. So Stephen, Philip, and there was five others that were were kind of recognized as being these high-quality leaders and who could be trusted with the good responsibilities. And so they rose up in prominence in the church. And it went so well that the church continued to grow. It went so well that the church attracted more attention. And we actually see the very first Christian martyr, which is Stephen. Uh, incidentally, also the name of my younger brother, who has not actually been martyred. But anyways, the, the, uh, the, so, the, so Stephen, who is one, of the, is one of the Hellenistic Jewish leaders, doing a fantastic job. And he gets, he gets stoned to death. And that's also where we're introduced to one of the other major characters, in the book of Acts, which is Paul. At this point in his life, he's Saul. We'll, we'll pick up his story in a couple of weeks. But So Stephen has, now been, Stephen has now been stoned to death, the first Christian martyr. And then we're going to pick things up in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Okay. On that day, so the day right after, after Stephen was, was crucified, or was, was um, stoned to death, A great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. We're going to take a trip over to the map. Come over with me. Here we go. So, all of this action is happening here in... Do you see where Jerusalem is? Okay, look at this. So, here's Jerusalem, right here. Okay, right here. So, Jesus is... Resurrection, his ascension, all of his appearances, they happen there. And the early church comes to life with the Holy Spirit. It's all happening right there. But if you remember some of Jesus' final words to the church, final words to his, to, his, to his apostles, he said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But have they gone anywhere? Nope. Because things are going great in Jerusalem, for the most part. And they've raised up some wonderful leaders. But then persecution 
comes to the church. And so we're, so the, 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 the apostles, they all stay in Jerusalem. Maybe it's like the captains on the ship, they want to stay with the boat, I don't know. But they're, they're, they're staying in Jerusalem, but where does everybody else go? Samaria and, and everywhere else. They get scattered in all different directions, don't they? So the, the believers are going all over the place. Let's see what they do. Those who had been scattered, so they're all over here, picking things up with verse 4, they preached the word wherever they went. They preached the word wherever they went. There's an interesting Greek word there, the evangelio. And you know where you can even hear the, the, the kind of root word for evangelism there, evangelio. They, wherever they go, they are talking about Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that they're holding church services everywhere or somebody gets a bullhorn out everywhere, but it just means that in everything that they do all over the place, they just can't help but talk about Jesus. You know, sometimes when God wants to spread his word throughout the world, he allows his church to experience hardship. Sometimes when things are too good, we end up just staying put where we are. But God allowed persecution to come to the church so that these believers would be scattered everywhere because he knew that wherever they went, However they did it, they, somehow or another, they would be talking about Jesus. And that's what happens. So, so godly men bury Stephen and they mourn him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Verse 4 and then verse 5. Philip, do you remember him? He was that one of those, the, the leaders that were appointed after some of the Hellenistic, Hellenistic widows were overlooked. Philip went down, in this case, just kind of down the hill from Jerusalem. It's actually north. But went down to a church, in, to a city in Samaria, and he preached the Messiah there. So Philip, who had been in Jerusalem, he goes, he goes to Samaria, very likely to the city of Sychar, or it could be because right close to Sychar is actually the city of Samaria, but somewhere right about here. So Philip goes to right about here. Can anybody remember what else happened in Samaria? There's a story that, where Jesus stopped in Samaria. That's right. And look it up. It's the same, same city. Or at least the same general region. Jacob's well. One of the first times Jesus the Messiah was preached was actually by that Samaritan woman. Just telling her neighbors, and I found the Messiah. I've met the Messiah. They're already familiar with Jesus. So here Philip comes up and he's, he's preaching to them. And, and we're going we're gonna to skip ahead a little bit in the... In, in, um, in Acts chapter 8, so we can get to verse 26 real quick. But as he goes there, um, the, the message is received warmly. Um, people are coming to Christ, especially there's a, there's a, there's a sorcerer there. We could, that'd be a very interesting topic to talk about, just that. A sorcerer named Simon, who is so intrigued by what he's seeing that, that he ends up getting baptized and calling himself a believer. And then the apostles who are down in Jerusalem, they hear about this, and so 
So Peter and John make the trip up to Samaria, which is it's about a 30-mile journey, by the way. And if you're walking about three hours, uh, three, three miles an hour, that's a long walk. That would be a very, very long day's walk or maybe, maybe a multi-day journey. So they make about a 30-mile journey north of Samaria to see what's going on. And, and as they meet with the believers there, they pray that they would receive the Holy Spirit. Some really dramatic stuff happens. And then they go back to Jerusalem. So where's Philip? Where's Philip? He, he's right here. Here's, here's Philip. He's right up here. Where are the apostles? They've gone back to Jerusalem. So you've got Peter and John and probably all the rest of them right there in Jerusalem. And that's where the story picks up. So Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. We're going to go back to the maps here for a second. Thanks, thanks, media team, for following me along here. Okay. So here's, where's Philip? He's way up here. Here's Jerusalem. I don't know if you can see it. Oh, good, you can. Here's Gaza. Here's the desert road. Now, of course, you could take the nicer road where you go along, go along to the coastline and go down here, but take the desert road, the one that nobody likes to take. Take that one to Gaza. So if this is about 30 miles, how far is this? Want to guess? Yeah, well, maybe not quite 100, but, but it's, it's a lot. And there's another 30, 40 miles. It's quite a ways. Trekking through the desert. Okay. So go there. Go there. And so Philip, he started out. And on the way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandaki, or some translations of the Candace of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. If there's anybody here named Candace, perhaps for the rest of the day, they should be referred to as your highness. Um, but So the, the treasury of the Kandaki, which means the queen of the Ethiopians, this man has gone to Jerusalem, had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting in a chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. Let's pause there. So Ethiopia, of course, it's way over here. It's a, it's a, would be, there'd be another 1,000 to 1,500 miles away. Uh, horseback, you can travel about four miles an hour. So let's, let's just say he was, a, he was from 1,000 miles away. Horseback, chariot, four miles an hour. How long do you think it would take to get from Ethiopia... To Jerusalem. Eight months? Eight months? Oh, b- perhaps, perhaps. It would take, it would take, it would, it, let's, say you're, let's say you're going 40 miles a day, you're traveling for 10 hours a day, something, something between 25, maybe 35 days that if you take, take some breaks. It's a long journey. That's my point. He's traveled a very, very long way. You don't travel a distance like that just casually. God was doing something in this 
Ethiopian leader. There's a decent chance he had already been acquainted with the Jewish scriptures. Now, here's, here's another little, little nerd bit. So it says, it says he, he's, a, he's, certainly, he's, he's a, certainly an important official, but he is described as a, there's a word. Did you catch it? A eunuch. Okay. Now, okay, this is one of the reasons why we have children's church. Now, because we got to read the Bible. We got to read the Bible, and the Bible's pretty blunt. Now, and so, and so in the ancient world, it was not uncommon that if someone was going to be entrusted with um, some of the most important wealth of, a, uh, of an empire, um, especially the wealth of, the, of a harem or something like that, of the, of the women of the empire, being close proximity with the women of the empire, there's a, there, there's a decent chance that uh, one of the ways that they would ensure that this person was, quote-unquote, safe is they would castrate him. Now all the guys are uncomfortable. I'm sorry. Um, anybody want to be a banker? Okay, here you go. But the, uh, so, he, so, he, so he was, so he, there was, we don't know for certain that this was his physical condition. This, but it may have been. There's at least one other reference in the Bible where, where eunuch did not refer to someone who had already been castrated, where, um, like uh, in Potiphar in, in, the, uh, in the Joseph story in Genesis. I mean, he was married, so he was not. But there's a decent chance that he was. So here's a guy from 1,000 to 1,500 miles away. Um, even part of the language of Ethiopian literally means dark-skinned, at least in the, in the Greek. So here, here's someone from a different cultural background, different national background, may even be what we today would call a sexual minority. But God is drawing him to himself. And he's made a very, very long journey to Jerusalem to worship God. Here's where where I just get kind of fascinated. Now, who's in Jerusalem? The apostles. You got like you got like the the head honchos. They're all in Jerusalem. And he makes the trip to Jerusalem. And all the head honchos are there. And then he starts making the trip back. And apparently has had no interaction with any of the apostles there in Jerusalem. And so God calls to Philip, who's 30 miles north of there. Okay. Let's pick, pick it up. So the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So Philip ran up to the chariot and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before his shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please. Who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. 
As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is some water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, this is where it gets weird again, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared in Azotes, oh, it's not even on here. That's too bad. Okay. Um, Azotes, and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. And by the way, next week we're going to see, we're going we're to be in Acts chapter 10, and we're going to learn about a story that happens in Caesarea. So God gives Philip these really, really specific instructions. Go find this guy. Go listen right by the side of the chariot. Can you imagine what it would be like to to hear something that specific from God? And it's kind of weird. Because here's Philip. He's up in in Samaria. He's got this powerful ministry. All sorts of people are hearing about Jesus. Things are going well there. And God says, go. I want you to, I mean, chances are this is a two to three day journey. I want you to go walk for two or three days. And then I'm going to, then I'm going to show you what to do next. I just marvel at that. Like, oh, that we would be so receptive to the spirit of God. That when God tells you to do something that when, when, you, when you first hear it, you just go, are you sure? And, I'm, and I marvel at this, this, how, how specific God is. Because so where, 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 where are the apostles? They're right here in Jerusalem. The, the, the Ethiopian gentleman whether, however he gets to Jerusalem, maybe he takes the coastal road in, maybe he takes the desert road in, we don't know. Gets there. Nothing. And, and somewhere along here, Philip meets him. Who here is, uh, does, uh, like, in your career, you, you do logistics? Like, you, you, help, you help companies work as efficiently as possible? Who here's an or here's here's an engineer? Has an engineering background? Some of you? Engineers, engineers, raise your hands high. That's right. Is that an efficient plan? Is it good use of resources? No. God's, God's, he's sending people all over the place. And Philip, now go up here, now go down here, and he goes up here, and pretty soon we're gonna discover Philip's up here, but actually now it takes Peter to make to Journey over here to go up here. And the reason why I'm making, yeah, let's zoom in on the map for one more moment. Like this, this, this whole thing. It, this is how God works in our lives sometimes, isn't it? It's not always this straight line journey. Oftentimes it's this back and forth, up and down. And, and there's a lot of it that feels like wasted time. 
I'm here to tell you, friends, when we're following the Lord, there's no such thing as wasted time. Your discipleship journey is not a factory assembly line. Doesn't always happen efficiently. Doesn't always happen in a straight line. From our perspective, sometimes it looks kind of (laughs) messy. But that's because God only does custom work. He brings just the right person at just the right time. I've got a theory why why God sent Philip. Want to hear it? Want to see it? Okay. So what, what language did Philip speak? What was his native tongue? No, it was Greek. He was a Hellenistic Jew. He understand, understood Greek more than he understood Aramaic. Now, if you've got your, do you still have your Bibles open? I hope you do. Okay, so Acts chapter 8. And, and so, of course, the, uh, you know, we get to verses 32, 33. And, and the Ethiopian, he's reading this passage from the book of Isaiah. And, if you, and if you, you've, you've probably got those, that's, that's fine print, you know, like the little footnotes in your Bibles, right? Okay. What's he re- what prophet is he reading from? Isaiah. Isaiah 50, 53, right? Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. And then there's a word right after that. Do you know what that word? Tell me the other word you find. It starts with an S. You don't have to pronounce it correctly. It's okay. Septuagint. Do you know what the Septuagint is? It was an ancient Greek translation of the Old Testament. Been around about a couple hundred years. They did the translation work of the Old Testament into Greek because so many Jews didn't understand Greek. I think that when we read the book and the passage in the book of Acts, that it, it was exactly... That. Like, so this, this Ethiopian eunuch, he is reading the scriptures out loud as he's, as he's riding in this chariot. And what language is he reading the scriptures in? Greek. What language does Philip speak? What language does Peter speak? Aramaic or Hebrew. What language does all the rest of the, of the, of the 12 apostles speak? Aramaic. God is so specific. He knew just the right leader for just the right time, for just the right place. This was a custom job. And so he'd have to use someone who probably, when, when, when Philip was growing up, he was the second class Jew. Because he wasn't as Jewish as all the other ones. Because, he's, because whatever, whatever his capacities would have been in Hebrew or Aramaic, it wasn't his native tongue. His native tongue was Greek. And if you want to reach someone who speaks Greek, you need a leader who speaks Greek. I think of, of what Philip's upbringing and what his experiences must have been like is he kind of felt second class. He never really felt like he measured up until, lo and behold, we see. In, like, 
For us in the moment, this looks like this big, crazy, inefficient mess. And yet bit by bit by bit, God is, is, is molding and shaping and directing the church and moving this from being solely a Jewish movement into a movement that is for everyone. So first, he starts doing, first we start to include the non-Aramaic-speaking Jews. Then we start to include people from, from distant, distant countries like this Ethiopian gentleman who's just seeking the Lord. He's probably a convert to Judaism. Good chance of that. I only say that because of the distance of the journey he, he traveled. Or maybe he was the very first Gentile convert. It could have been. But, but next week, we're going to look at the, where, where the, the gospel just breaks wide open to everyone. And it looks on the ground, it looks like this inefficient mess. But God has a plan. He's got a purpose. He, he, is, he, is, he is, the, the gospel is moving forth with power. Friends, if your life ever feels a little bit like this, be encouraged. Because that's so often how God works. You're a custom project. Not an assembly line build. You're not a cookie cutter. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And that's why in your story, just like in the Ethiopian eunuch story, and just like in Philip's story, so often as we think back about those key and pivotal moments in our life, we realize that God brought just the right person at just the right time. He's that good. He loves you that much. So the question for us today, friends, is are you available? Be available. Be available. Be ready to be just the right person at just the right time. I like just think, what would happen if, if Philip was, you know, all the, all the ministry is happening down in Jerusalem. Oh, that's where the apostles are. I guess they should take care of that, not me. God uses just the right person at just the right time. So be available. Before I close, who, who here, just, just, I'm going to wander around a little bit, media team. Um, does anybody here have a story that, like, maybe that triggers something for you? Where you go, I've got a story of a way that God met me. Just the right place, at just the right time, where he did something, or built up somebody in your life, just really specific. Does anyone have a story they could share with that? To you, okay, all right. Um, I think. Am I on? Can we turn the microphone on? Oh, thank you. Hello. Okay. Um, you know, one day I was greeting, and this little old man came in for the first time. You all know him, Cecil. Mm. And I asked him to sit with me, and Jim. 
introduced himself to, and then we had this friendship for this past year and a half and took him to the end of his life. And I just said, hi, <laughs> do you want to sit with me? And then found out he didn't have anyone else in his life. So we became, we, the church, became his people. What a great example. That in that moment for Cecil, <laughs> yeah, we got to be just the right people at just the right time.